Imagine spending a year developing a new beverage brand, and right before the launch in March of 2020, everything changes as a pandemic takes hold. Questions arise. How will I distribute and sell my products? How will the brand be received and will my marketing and design choices work with consumers trapped at home? And when they do venture out, can I get their attention in a crowded category when all they want is to spend as little time as possible shopping in stores? We explore these and other questions with Bruce Wilpon and Thomas Larson, co-founders of Ebbs Brewing, a craft beer company, and Fountain Beverage, makers of hard seltzer and CBD-infused drinks. Gentlemen, welcome to our podcast series. I'll begin with a question. And Bruce, if you don't mind starting, what brought the two of you together? And what was the genesis behind the craft beer venture? It's a very simple answer on the what brought us together. It was two three-year-olds. Thomas's elder son and my elder daughter were in the same class, the same school from three years old. They were five before we managed to get to working together, but we initially met because of our children. And Thomas, yes, you get together, but so how did that begin as a journey into the craft beer business? I think one of the magical things about beer is that it does bring people together. I was sort of at the 20-something year mark of a lifetime, what felt like a lifetime in advertising, where I spent a lot of time and energy marketing other people's beers and spirits. Bruce had already built the brewery that exists at City Field. He already had the head start, and as we got to talking, it just became clear that our kind of skill sets and our backgrounds and what Bruce was already doing came to just a perfect inflection point to try to figure out something to do together. From what I understand then, so that there was already an existing brewery. You were selling beer at, at City Field. Is that right, Bruce? Among other places, yes, that is right. Okay. And so was it something that you thought was, gee, I like the beer business, but I want to sort of head in a little different direction. What was it that made that shift? And how did that sort of begin the conversation of maybe we should create our own brand? To make beer, it's a crowded marketplace and it's a shrinking market overall, but the growth in the beer category in this country is and has been in the craft beer segment, which has taken about a tenth of the market in 10 years. So we were making craft beer for a European partner, and it's difficult to get out into the market and thought that we should be doing it for ourselves as well. So you felt as though this sort of like needed a, a little bit of a restart maybe your own brand, something you could feel passionate about? I think it was the boundless opportunity to make our own beer. Yes, passion, but unfettered markets around the nation and hopefully the globe where we can sell a product that we made from the beginning and believe in because we built the brand and we make the liquid ourselves and we can it at our own facility and we label it. You know, there's a lot of pieces of opportunities to infuse passion and love into a product that we think, like Thomas says, you know, bring people together and allow people to enjoy. Yeah, and I think the really important piece too, as Bruce mentioned, that beer as a larger category is slowly shrinking, but the growing piece within that larger piece is craft beer that is actually growing. And I think when you look at successful craft breweries are incredibly nimble and able to act on impulse and sort of like do more of the stuff that works and less of the stuff that doesn't work. I think we just realized to be able to do that, 
we need brands that are wholly our own, that we can adapt very quickly. We can enter into new markets very quickly without a lot of back and forth or a lot of discussion. We just need to kind of act on what we think are good instincts of our own. I think there's also a business reality in that the nimbleness and the ability to act, I think, is really important. And that's what we now have. And the timing of this. So I think you got in the initial foray into the beer business was back in 2017. As time progressed, you felt the calling, let's say, for, to maybe create something on your own. And that was happening through, I guess, 2019. And you launched, from what I understand, either at or about the time when we got hit with this pandemic. It's interesting how the moment that we were set to truly launch coincided almost to the week of when we went into lockdown. You could not have scripted it. Reality is stranger than fiction sometimes, right? In that we spent probably well over a year developing the branding piece and the positioning and the naming and the recipe development, but the actual launch of bringing it to market coincided almost exactly to the week of when everyone was kind of told to go on lockdown. At that point, I got my, I think you did too, I got my first Ebbs product in lockdown. So the first time I tried yeah. the beer, we were already in quarantine. Yep, me too. But prior to that first batch coming out and you're actually having that first beer out of a can or a bottle, what happened was, though, you developed a name, you developed a marketing strategy, and that Fortunately for you guys, that seemed to have worked. It was sort of resonated with your target audience. Tell me a little bit about the brand name, how you got it, and then what did you see in the craft beer market, that piece that you felt as though may have been missing and your beer, your brand was going to fill? What we noticed, first of all, is that there are probably close to a gazillion craft breweries in the United States, and therefore naming your brewery is an enormous challenge. But besides that, I think there was a vacuum in that market where we've seen it already having kind of spent a couple of years in the industry and observing, you know, what works and what's popular. It seemed to be kind of an arms race happening where successful craft breweries were trying to outdo one another when it comes to honey beer names, super colorful and convoluted labels and incredibly involved recipes. And so it was the kind of traditional pivot, right? When everyone else is doing something, the best way to stand out is to do the complete opposite. And so we felt, irrespective of the name, we actually thought of the positioning first. We need a beer that is straightforward, the kind of beer that you remember drinking, the kind of beer that resonates on a more populous and broad level that is also craft quality. I would add to that, finding a name was, an arduous process for us and took a lot of time and a lot of mind space. And we thought we had it and then came back after the weekend and we didn't have it for legal or just aesthetic reasons. Craft 1.0, when this sort of retrenching of the slide of the beer category started really with, you know, Sam Adams and Sierra Nevada and Lagunitas, that generation of breweries and it was remarkable for Americans to drink beer that quote unquote had flavor and had more expressed hop profiles and so on. Craft 2.0, which is the generation that we were working in, was in some sense 15 years ago in reaction to the Craft 1.0 explosion. And 
they were pushing just like foodies and celebrity chefs were pushing more interesting, more detailed and profound kind of flavor combinations. They were adding things like truffles and citrus and other kinds of fruit and things to beer, introducing more beer styles to the country. And part of that explosion of flavor and all that came with like what Thomas was saying, an explosion of just artistic expression in naming beers, in creating labels and stuff. So for us, having been in that and looking at the craft beer fridge, how could we stand out best? Well, maybe to be something to whisper in a room of people yelling is the best way to do that. And so we went with a monochromatic color scheme and a very strong but minimal expression for our brand. You were looking to cut through the noise and get back to the basics of having a beer. Correct. Yes, and I think also we spoke before we hit record on this conversation about the kind of straightforwardness of our place of origin. We're born in Brooklyn. We're definitely a New York brand, and there's a very no-nonsense approach. I think people also, people from outside of New York have sometimes get the wrong idea of New Yorkers and that they think that we are gruff and rude, but really we're just to the point. Right? We're very inclusive and very compassionate, very empathetic, very friendly, but the tone is very no-nonsense. And I think that hopefully comes through in spades in the brand expression and also in the liquid itself. The name Ebbs. I guessed earlier because I didn't know what the origins were. I thought maybe it was from Ebbets Field, born in Brooklyn. And as you described, if you're from Brooklyn, <laughs> there's a certain idiosyncratic part of your personality that talks about directness and honesty and saying what you mean. And whether that's with Rudy Giuliani or Dr. Anthony Fauci or Barbara Streisand, all people born in Brooklyn who we could say, hey, you know what? They speak their mind. So tell me about the name Ebbs. Finding a name for this was difficult. We think that it's and designed it to be ambiguous, if not mysterious. And uh. it can mean what it means to you, meaning that if you happen to be from Brooklyn or from New York and know Ebbets Field, then maybe it can evoke some of that nostalgia. Our brewery is at a baseball stadium, so it's not out of left field, so to speak, to think that. We also very much included the idea of ebbs and flows. We also very clearly designed the minimal graphic logo, which is made up of four characters, with two of them being the same character symmetrically placed in the middle of the four-character word. So there's a graphic design element to it that's just very strong as well. One of the criteria that we had when we searched through names was, this would sound like a beer. And, you know, you can go through a, a naming exercise and come up with super cool brand names. But at the end of the day, it's a beer. Beyond just the beer business. And by the way, I love the mystique behind the name. And I must say, in looking at the graphics, as you describe, very monochromatic, easy to understand. You get it right away. So there's no mystery behind it. If I'm looking for a beer, your brand speaks beer. But you went beyond that. You also looked into the seltzer business. You started uh, Fountain Beverage. And not only was it the hard seltzer business, but you also added a CBD element to it. Tell me a bit, little bit about that. It goes back to, first and foremost, having a production facility with a canning line, with a labeling facility, and a great capacity. So putting that investment to work was of the utmost. 
Hard Filter, as many people know, you know, had its moment last summer where the seltzer White Claw was outselling Bud Light in the summer months. That category is here to stay. And what was interesting, too, from a brewing perspective is that most hard seltzers are actually technically a beer. So it's something that, again, going back to Bruce's recent point, we could easily and also you know, very well made in our facility. The production facility allowed us to physically produce the product from beginning to end. The market opportunity, as Thomas mentioned, was just clear white space of a quickly accelerating and growing market segment. And three, we had a willing participant, partner in crime in our head brewer, who was very excited to make product in part because he studied just this kind of flavor profile, flavor combination at Johnson & Wales. Let's talk about the name a little bit, because when I first saw the name and together we had a conversation about the name, how I felt just the term fountain and the graphics that you use sort of gave that joyful, refreshing sort of a look to it and sound. Yeah, that all came together. That was like lightning in a bottle, and we're so happy to have it, you know, even over a year into... Having developed it, every day I see it, it does pay that off. It sparks joy, which was our kind of only brief to ourselves. Um, and so it feels very of the moment. We really wanted a brand that could sit among the kind of startups that you see around you, not necessarily in the beverage category, but in culture. And we feel like Fountain is one of those rare names that just the name saying it and if you see a can or if you see the logo it instantly inspires joy and kind of a burst of of colorful and inspiration the way that we came across it was kind of magical but i'm not going to question it in hindsight (laughs) one of the things you talk about in advertising the brand it's all natural there's no added sugars it's it's gluten-free. It's all of those little attributes that sort of, I think, resonate with today's consumer. Yeah, and I do think that's why hard seltzer is a category here to say because it is truly a, it's an alternative to beer that, that is a healthier alternative. And it plays into modern shopping and drinking and consumption behavior. People are leaving worse choices behind and they're starting to make better choices but they don't want to drastically change their lives, right? Like you still want to go out. You still want to socialize with friends responsibly, of course. But that behavior is never going to change. You just need an alternative that makes you feel like you're making a better choice. And we're happy to be able to do that. But also there's the added layer of the craft that we bring to that category. And then tell me about how you extended then into adding CBD into the line. It goes back to the beer making in its first spark of inspiration and when we realized that it was too difficult still legally to make a beer with CBD, we started to think about how we would make a CBD drink that could again be part of the current consumption patterns, behaviors of millennials mostly, but above them and below them in age well. So no artificial flavor. So we really started thinking about making CBD for the beer, John. And it was only after realizing that the licensing current legal limitations on combining CBD and alcohol weren't anything that we wanted to make the mainstay of a business. It was too complicated still and too difficult. 
So we thought about how we would make a CBD product that would, again, sort of accord, like Thomas was saying, with current consumer behaviors, not trying to create new ones. So we didn't want to add sugar and we didn't want to add artificial flavors. And we wanted it to be clear and transparent and as close to seltzer as we could make it. There are a lot of other CBD beverages, you know, ever-growing number of them on the market. And we felt in a similar way to the way we felt we wanted Ebbs to stand out from what was being done. We felt that the other CBD beverages in the market were with sugar, with additional ingredients, adaptogens or flavorings or fruit juice or caffeine or kombucha or whatever. And we thought that if we start with something as close to water as possible, we'll hit on an already accepted consumer behavior. It's a fascinating story. And then how you brought all of this together and having obviously starting with the manufacturing facility and then creating not only a craft beer, but then a line extension into hard seltzer and then even taking it past that into CBD to become more of an overall beverage business as opposed to just a craft beer company. It's an interesting story. So what I wanted to get into a little bit, especially since as people are listening to this, they should know we're in October, it's the year 2020. Bruce and Thomas are selling their products into a consumer base that, especially here in New York, for a great part, they're still sort of in lockdown. And as the country reopens, how will this change the way you're marketing or selling your product? Or did you have to change it all while most people were in quarantine? What did you do differently, if anything? Well, you're right in that I think everything across the board is going to change as a result of the pandemic. And alcohol is a very heavily regulated industry, which also puts restrictions on how you can market it, even not during a pandemic. The mantra, and especially alcohol, but any beverage marketing is liquid to lips, right? You have to get your liquid to the lips of your consumer so that they can taste it and they can fall in love with it so that they will buy it. And we just found ourselves in a world where that was not a reality. The pandemic forced the issue and made us think about distribution in a way that was not traditional going to bars and restaurants and traditional retail, but we had to look to digital platforms to get our products to people. We were able to do that through our partner taproom.com, which has had great success as a result of the lockdown because people's shopping behaviors, obviously in the world at large, people have shifted to online from retail, but the alcohol vertical really has lagged behind that trend. People were still going to liquor stores and to retails to buy alcohol. But what we've seen is that as a result of lockdown and the pandemic, that's now shifting. And so we're kind of, we really are reaping the benefits of it. It forced us to think about it in a different way. Knowing Taproom and having that relationship and having it be just the right time for that, having Ebbs be a product that is very straightforward when people don't want to spend much time looking at labels if there happen to be in a grocery store. So we're definitely appreciative of the moment and positioned ourselves what was best for before this moment existed and feel lucky that a bunch of our assumptions were still correct and we were able to make them happen. I have a question for both of you, and if you don't mind, Thomas, we'll start with you, then we'll go to Bruce. What's your advice for budding entrepreneurs planning to start their own brand? I think it's not to be too precious about your preconceived notions. 
And being willing to zig when others are zagging, I think you can always find white space. And you might go into an idea thinking that you know which way it's going to go. But I think you often find most success when you follow your gut and you look at the data and you're willing to deviate from what you thought was right. Bruce, your thoughts? I would say first and foremost to them, don't do it. And I mean that sincerely and facetiously at the same time. It's more engaging and involving and all-consuming than I think you realize in those first moments of spark of inspiration and initial ideas and stuff. The number of times Thomas and I have looked at each other and said, wow, it really takes longer than you think. So what I mean by that more specifically and less cavalierly is that your idea needs to be something... uh, for which you will have not only a spark of inspiration and passion, but sustained interest and deeply sustaining and sustained interest. Yeah. You know, one of the things that most entrepreneurs describe to me is that you really have to have, not only have to be passionate about it, you need to have grit, right? You need to have that ability to persevere because the journey is not easy. We all hear stories about successful companies, successful brands launching but oftentimes we really don't understand what's behind that and that difficulty of that journey getting to that point of success. The next question I have for both of you is what one word describes who you are? Thomas, I'll start with you. Wow, it really put me on the spot there. I'll answer for me then so you can think and it will probably help you. Funny. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think optimistic. <laughs> So optimistic is your word, yeah. Thomas. All right. Bruce, you're going to stick with funny? I think funny is a good one because I think a lot of our best ideas come from humor. We could be banging our heads against the wall trying to think of either a name for a brand or like a contact for a distributor or something. And then someone cracks a joke and out of that joke actually comes brilliant ideas. We like to have fun and we enjoy making each other laugh. and that in very stressful moments can be a bit of joy that helps you double down in the grit to get through what you need to get through. I couldn't agree with you more. And I wasn't putting you on the spot there, Bruce, to see if you would change your mind, because honestly, humor helps in tough situations. I'm not saying you need to make light of things, but in the context of life, sometimes just that little bit of humor breaks the tension. You take a deep breath and then, okay, let's get on with what we really need to get done as opposed to sit there and wonder, oh my goodness, what are we going to do next? You tend to then move on to what you have to do next. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think the combination of having someone who could bring the humor to it and someone who's optimistic, I mean, those are two great virtues for any entrepreneur. So gentlemen, I truly appreciate having you both on today. The story was great, insightful, and I appreciate, I'm sure our listeners will uh, appreciate hearing about the journey of taking a brand to market in the age of a pandemic. Thanks so much for talking with us today. As we heard from Bruce and Thomas, to stand apart in a crowded and competitive market, you need to find the white space. Be willing to zig when others zag. When everyone else is doing one thing, sometimes the best way to stand out is to do the complete opposite. So while the craft beer market is inundated with exotic brand names and hard to decipher graphics, They positioned Ebbs as a straightforward, born-in-Brooklyn craft beer brand without the gimmicks. That positioning carried on to the label graphics with a simple monochromatic look that readily identifies the product. With their Fountain Hard Seltzer line, 
The plan was to evoke the experience of more joyous moments and playfulness. The colorful graphics captured in lines running up the sides of the cans, topping out in an arc under the fountain brand name. And while formulation, branding, and strategy development was done pre-pandemic, the launch happened just as New York started its lockdown in March and April of 2020. So this is where being nimble pays off. They realized that traditional beverage marketing of getting your liquid to the lips of consumers was no longer going to happen through traditional channels. They had to pivot and look for distribution in a way that was not going to bars and restaurants and retail. They looked to digital platforms to get the product out, and fortunately, they found and worked with taproom.com and had great success using e-commerce. In closing, they offered advice to entrepreneurs that as you navigate the roadblocks you are bound to experience, apply a combination of optimism and humor to break the stress and tension that cuts you off from creative thinking. This will open you up to new ideas and finding solutions. Thanks to Bruce and Thomas for sharing their experiences and ideas and for being part of this podcast series. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our executive producer and social media strategist is Paulina Lamanier. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talesha and Petra Shantaraga. Until next time.